Just appreciate that. Well, as you look around the room, some of you may not be able to notice, but the speakers are back up in the ceiling. Things are progressing. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Doesn't blow us out here on the ground. Uh, we are looking at uh, moving forward with the risers this week. There's going to be some things that will be done this week that we possibly could use the first couple rows for this next Sunday. So be praying about that. I say that because the foreman of the job comes to our church. Just kind of speed them along a little bit, you know, a little pressure. Uh, but if you notice, it's a little dark up here. The lighting, uh, we still got some lighting we need to put in. And of course, of course on live stream, uh, it definitely is dark up here when you see it that way. But we are making progress, and that's all we can do is continue to make progress. Well, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. I also want to apologize for the tight rows. I know that normally when you come in here, there's enough room for people to kind of get by you. We had to really tighten it up. Uh, we'll be going back to spreading that out in the next couple of weeks when we have more access to the risers back there. But I uh, hope you will bear with us a little longer on that. Well, today we continue the supremacy of Christ. Now, the Bible records that the church is made up of laborers working together with God to build the kingdom of God. And so when you look around a room that is full, if you were to say, okay, what is the expectation of the people in this room and the people who were in the last gathering and the people meeting across our county, our, our nation, or the world for the church is that we all become laborers in building the kingdom of God. That is the expectation. Believe it or not, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the expectation for you sitting right there in that seat. Now, the question is, how do you go about that? What does your testimony look like? How does it play out when it comes to actually doing and meeting the expectation that God has placed on your life. Now, let me say this about Paul. I think that when we look at Paul, obviously he was successful in what he did because of how the Holy Spirit led him. He was someone who had a who who was un, who yielded to every whim of the of the Holy Spirit. And we see that over and over again. He actually talks about it in his language how he had this impression to go over here and to do this and not go there. So we know he was led of the Holy Spirit. But another reason Paul was so effective in what he did was because of his passion. And it was a passion that others who were around him, it led them to have passion. And really, when you think about it, that's what we should be in the body of Christ. When it comes to the church, when it comes to those of us who make up the church, we should have enough passion that we actually stir passion in others. And that is my hope for us as a church. So today we're going to be looking at those, some of those who stirred the passion in Paul and that Paul stirred the passion in them. And so today we're looking at supporting cast of the church there in Colossae. Look at the introduction. It takes people from all walks of life with varying gifts at different points on their Christian journey to accomplish the work God has entrusted the church. That's what it takes. It takes us all to do it. And if you're to say, does God have a plan? Does he have a purpose? Yes. And I'm here to tell you that that plan is carried out by the local church. It is. It, there's all through scripture. That's how he's going to do it. Now, when it comes to us, in which we would say that we're just ordinary people. How many of you would say, hey, I'm just an ordinary person? Okay, that's all of us. How many of you think you're extraordinary? We'd like to see you, if you could. Uh, yeah, there's maybe one or two hands. But anyway, um, but here's what we know. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary tasks. 
You see it all through the scripture. You look at some of these people in scripture that God uses. And some of you look and say, oh, the faith of Abraham. Oh, my goodness, the obedience of David. And we, we kind of see them in this limelight. But listen, look at the whole story of their life. They didn't start that way. They were just ordinary people. And some who made incredible mistakes before God used them in the way that he used them. And that would include where we could find ourselves. And Paul is basically talking about some of those people right here in the text we're looking at today. Now, before we jump in, let me just say this. A lot of times when we're preaching through uh, letters or books of the Bible, we leave off the part I'm going to be looking at today. Because it's like he's saying farewell. By the way, this person said, hey, that person said, hey, hey, uh, that kind of thing. That's really what the end of it is. But we really shouldn't leave it off. We should look into the lives of the people that Paul is calling out. Because here's what we got to understand about God's word. If we believe it's the inspired word of God, God desired for those names to be there. And we need to look deep into who these people are that Paul is calling out. And so here we are. Look on your outline. Today what I'm going to do is basically say, who do you best identify with when it comes to the list that Paul names at the end of this letter? With whom do you best identify? And the first group we have are called the messengers. The messengers. And the first one we have is Tychicus. Okay, look at uh, chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 7. It says, Tychicus, a beloved brethren, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you about the news about me. Now, when you look at Tychicus, his name literally means fortunate. And, and some would say, well, what was he fortunate about? Well, he was fortunate enough, I guess, to work with Paul. I don't know. But it appears there's something to it. Now, he's mentioned many times, and he appears to be the right-hand man of Paul. Okay? Paul's right-hand man appears to be this guy. Many of these guys, and we know Paul, uh, we know that Paul, if he's definitely a personal assistant of Paul, we know Paul had two of them, and he was definitely one of those. He could have been actually the person who wrote the letter itself as Paul dictated it to him. And so we have these guys, and he's one of them. Now, Paul describes him as a beloved brother, a beloved brother, and that's literally a term of endearment. How many of you, when you think of the people that God has placed in your life, and you think of them, it just kind of brings a smile to your face, or it brings a joy to your heart? Because they are the ones that are there spurring you on many times. They're the ones who encourage you. Maybe they're just the people that God's placed in your life that you can kind of let your hair down and go do something together with. I mean, these are just people we enjoy being around. Now, the question we need to ask ourselves, are we those people that people enjoy being around? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll say that for another thing. But anyway, but that's what he is. That's what he means to Paul. Secondly, he's a faithful minister. The word faithful describes, and by the way, faithful describes the key ingredient of an effective servant of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 here on the screen. It says, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, when we think about who we are in Christ, many things, goes into, many things go into that. We know Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior. We're his child. He's our, uh, we, we, I mean, we got all these things. I mean, we're his child. We got all these titles that we can place on the fact of that, okay? That we're a child of God. Now, there's other things that come with it. The Bible says we have an inheritance that comes with that. But one of the things that we also need to understand is that now we're a child of God. He gives us certain resources in our lives. 
So therefore, those resources, those giftings, those talents, listen, we're a steward of those things. They're not ours, just solely ours. They're those things that he's placed in our lives to serve the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean we're all called to be pastors? Absolutely not. There's some of you who have a, even more vibrant ministries in what you do in the local workplace than we do as pastors, many of you. But the point is this, that we're faithful with what God has entrusted us with. He's entrusted you with resources, maybe financial resources. I believe he expects you to give careful consideration to be a part of building the kingdom of God with some of those things. All of us are asked some of that. But there's other things, the giftings, the talents, the personalities that he's given us. We are to take those things to make him known. This guy, when you look at Tychicus, you're going to find out that he was one of those guys who sold out and gave everything, not only for the cause of Christ, but also for the cause that Paul had in accomplishing what God called him to accomplish. So he's someone that was brought into his life. Next, Tychicus was also a fellow servant. And some people believe he's like a personal postman. How do we think that? Look at verse 7 again. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. He's going to come. He's going to tell you what's going on. Now, why would that be important? The reason that was important is because in Paul's first and second missionary journeys, many times he was run out of town. How many of you have ever studied everything Paul went through by helping make Christ known? He was beaten and left for dead, shipwrecked. I mean, he was, he, I mean, the enemy, if the enemy wasn't after him, the world was. The Jews were. They wanted him dead. They wanted his influence erased. And so all these things were against him. And so when people, when, when, when news came that Paul's okay and that he's continuing the work, that encouraged other people. Because they just knew that at some point, someone was eventually going to take him out. So that was important. But number letter, uh, verse 8 says this. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. Also that he may, may, know, may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Now think about that. He's sending people that are with him. I want you to think about this. In which he's persecuted everywhere he goes. They are his cheerleaders. cheering him on. He's sending those type of people to them. Now, how many of you, it'd be hard to give up those kind of people in your life for a while? But he's sending them to this group to encourage them. Now, it appears from what we find in, in the scriptures that Tychicus was considered or, or uh, was going to take the place of Titus, who would, be, would become uh, the pastor on the island of Crete. Okay, so he was a faithful with the small things, and now God has given him more responsibility. And we see that in Scripture. Next, we meet another messenger, Onesimus. Look at verse four, uh, verse 9. Tychicus with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is with you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. And again, reporting on the work. Paul's okay. He survived another one. <laughs> the work's going fine here. God's blessing. God's doing things. Onesimus was one of them at Colossae. He was actually someone who worshiped with them. Okay? So at some point, he goes with Paul somewhere. Okay? And now he's ministering and the report is going back. So he sends him back to Colossae. That's where Onesimus is actually from. Now, think about it. How does he describe him? Faithful brother. 
beloved brother, fellow companion. And yet the Bible says that he was considered a runaway slave to a, to a reliable servant. He was someone who, who was enslaved who became a reliable servant. Now we know that he was a servant of Philemon. There's a letter Paul writes to Philemon, okay? And, and basically we see that this relationship is pretty cool when you think about it because here someone is considered a slave, Onesimus, writing to Philemon. They attend this, the same church. Matter of fact, it's believed that the church met in Philemon's home. He was a very wealthy man. And it's interesting that Onesimus holds a higher position in the church than Philemon, the, the, the one that was there in his life, the one that actually owned the home. Now, that really kind of blows my mind. It shows you again that the church erases many of the boundaries that we put in place when, when it comes uh, to local churches. And so we see Onesimus. Next, we go from the messengers to the encouragers. These are the ones that Paul says are the encouragers. The last part of verse 11, look at this. These are, we're getting ready to talk about all these. These are, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. These are people who have Jewish descent. These are people who are saved from the Jewish faith. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Now, why would that be a comfort to Paul? Because a lot of the persecution, you know where it was coming from? From the Jewish people. From the Jewish people. And these were converted Jews who were encouraging Paul to stay firm, to stand firm, to continue the work, to continue the work. And we see that. And he, he calls them out. Now, look at, the word, look at the last phrase, to be a comfort to me. Now, in this context, comfort means someone who comes alongside of. It literally, when you look at how it's written here, they're coming alongside to bring relief, which brings encouragement. And Paul was saying, I'm sending those who encourage me to you to encourage you. And the first one on the list is Aristarchus. If you look at verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Now, some of you say, what's the modern day language of that? Well, Aristarchus says, hey. You, you ever read a letter like way? Uh, I mean, it's like, well, mom said, hey, hope you call sometime. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, Aristarchus. Now, what do we know about him? He's a fellow prisoner. He says that. It appears that due to his association with Paul, he was also put in prison in Rome when Paul was in prison. Not only that, he's a faithful companion. He's a faithful companion, and here's the key, in extreme difficulty. How many of you have those people who have walked through a season of struggle in your life? You're convinced God placed them there. God sent them to you for a special time, for such a time as this. You're going through a very tough time. They prayed with you. They cried with you. They, they were just right there with you. Aristarchus was that guy to Paul. He was there. He was there in the difficulty. There's several occasions we know from Scripture that he was around. First of all, the riot at Ephesus, when they turned on Paul, he was there. The storm on the Mediterranean Sea when Paul was shipwrecked, he was there. He was always there when times got tough. And he was someone who could be counted on no matter what. How many of you are grateful for those people who are in your life? And you know something? They're necessary to continue the work of the kingdom. For those who are there in the difficulty, going through things in the trenches. Next, we have another encourager, John Mark. 
John Mark. The Bible says the last uh, second part of verse 10, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. John Mark was considered, based on where we were at the beginning, a faithful servant. He was considered, uh, considered a faithful servant. He basically went on the first missionary journey there ever was. So we had Pentecost. We had the, when the church began, the people left Jerusalem after Pentecost, the work of the Holy Spirit. They went out into the world, okay, started moving out because of the persecution. What's interesting is in, that mean, in the meantime, sometime after that, Paul is, 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 uh, comes to know Jesus. And now they're beginning a missionary work that will, come, that will start building churches in all these areas. And so the first missionary journey includes Paul and Barnabas. How many of you are familiar with the story? And they go around and they plant churches. All right? That's what's going on here. Acts 12 says this. And Barnabas and Saul, that's of course Paul, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now think about this. You got these two older guys who are going to plant churches. You're the young guy. You get to hang out with Paul and Barnabas. How many of you say, man, I will sign up for that trip? Some of you would until you hear about the persecution, right? But the fact is, there's this young guy going with them. Boy, you're talking about a ringside seat to what the Holy Spirit's doing and starting these churches. But here's what we understand about John Mark. He went from being a faithful servant to an unfaithful servant. He literally caused division in the first missionary journey. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to be known for that? Great work of God. Pentecost has taken place. Paul has come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. The one who persecuted Christians is now helping save people into the kingdom. And all of a sudden, you're there. Barnabas is there. And, and he's this great encourager guy. People love to be around Barnabas. And there you are. And you're going to cause division in the very first missionary journey. That'd be a hard one to come back from, wouldn't it? But that's what we find here. I want you to look at Acts chapter 13 here on the screen. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, if you just read this, you think, huh, he's, he's, he's going back home, get some home-cooked meal. I know you college students or enjoy that's part of the story, right? Get a home-cooked meal, basically. But, but no, he's leaving because it evidently got too tough. It got too tough. And for, so, some, for some reason, John Mark did not fulfill his responsibility. Now, Paul and Barnabas are about, now about to go on their second missionary journey. And guess who Barnabas wants to go with them? Guess who he wants them to go, someone to go with them? John Mark again. I want you to listen to the account in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go now back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how things are going. And again, they were planting churches as they were going. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Okay? He was determined they're going to go. He's going to give them a second chance. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention between, became sharp between the two of them. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. 
But Paul picked up another person, Silas, and departed in another direction. Now, I want you to think about that. All of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas are now going separate ways. They can't agree on what to do with John Mark. Now, let me just say this. In the sovereignty, God's sovereignty, would you agree, can cover a multitude of sin and distraction, can't it? Yeah, the sovereignty of God can still do amazing things. Now, think about this. Because of the contention that rested there, Paul is basically saying, you can do what you want to, but I'm not going with him anymore. Now, how many of you look at Paul and think, come on, Paul? How many of you think Paul would be hard to deal with at times? Yeah, you kind of get that impression. There's other places too in Scripture. But here's what you got to understand about Paul. We read in Romans that Paul said this one time. He basically said, if it meant that my countrymen can go to heaven, I'll go to hell on their behalf. Now, I want you to think about this. Was he serious about the work of the kingdom? Very serious. He didn't have time to play games is basically what I see in Paul. Now, some of you look at that and you say, man, I got to respect that. And we all need to respect that. But then you got Barnabas. The, his name literally means son of encouragement. Wanted to bring someone back into to restoration. Wanted to help this guy out, John Mark. And Paul and him have a disagreement. So the ministry team is split up. Paul becomes very upset with Barnabas and John Mark. And so Paul and Barnabas see their ministries go in different directions. And guess what? God uses it in an amazing way. How many of you have seen him do that in your own life? Something that just, I mean, it was difficult. It was not only difficult, you felt guilty about it happening in the first place. And all of a sudden, God in his sovereignty can still do great things. God is a God of second chances, but you know who else was? Barnabas. Barnabas, aren't you glad that God's placed people in your life that give you a second chance? Yeah, we all need those people. So, so next, we see the restored servant. Barnabas comes alongside of John Mark, and he basically brings him along. And here's the, the most amazing part of the story that a lot of people don't know. Peter was actually John Mark's mentor. We learned that from other places in Scripture. And Peter basically pours into John Mark in such a way. And now we know from Scripture that John Mark writes Peter's gospel. So the gospel of Mark is written by this guy. And many people believe he wrote Peter's account. So you see a closeness here. But let me ask you a question. Sometimes likes come together. Did, did, um, did Peter need a second chance? Oh, yeah. His second chance came with Jesus himself. You remember the story? He basically told the disciples are sitting there. Jesus is talking about the things that were about to happen. And, and Peter stands up and says, it won't happen as long as I'm around. And then all of a sudden, what happens? He's arrested. Now, give it to Peter. He did try to stand up for Jesus. But we know that was even wrong. And then he denies Jesus. How many times? Three times. And then we come to the Gospel of John, and we see how tenderly that Jesus, in John chapter 21, restored Peter. Can you imagine? I'm not saying this conversation happened, but it, it probably could have happened. The conversation as Peter is pouring into John Mark. Think about how it possibly could have gone. John Mark, I blew it too. I love Jesus with all my heart. I was a leader of the disciples. I even told the others if they turned on Jesus, I wouldn't do it. And then when it counted, one day, 
I denied him not one time, not two times, but three times. And one of them was to a little girl. To a little girl, if you know the story. I mean, how bad can it get? But here's the good news. Jesus gave me a second chance. He restored me. And I can't help but think, I really can't help but think that between Barnabas and Peter, we have a restored John Mark. I really believe that with all my heart. And all of a sudden, things are happening. But then Paul comes along and sees him as being restored too. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We believe these are some of the last words Paul ever wrote. Listen to what he writes. Isn't this a beautiful story? He said, get John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Did Paul restore Mark? John Mark? Yeah. He's saying, bring him. He's usable. I can use him. It's amazing how God can use us who need second and maybe even third chances. A third encourager, Jesus' justice. Look at verse 11. And Jesus, who is called justice, these are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They're from the faith of Judaism. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Now, I want you to think about this guy named Jesus Justice, okay? First of all, that sounds like a pretty cool name, doesn't it? Jesus Justice, okay? And so that, that's his name. Now, there's two things we know about the name. Number one, it was a common name. If you were to go to any playground in any city, and yell out, hey, Jesus, you probably would have had two or three little boys turn around and look at you because it was a common name. And, 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 and yet Jesus comes on the scene, and, and how do you live up to that? Would you, I think I'd probably change my name, wouldn't you? I remember not long ago, I was uh, at a restaurant, and the young lady came to my, our table, and she was standing there, and she was ready to take her order, and I looked at her name tag, and her name was Alexa. Now, some of you get it, right? Hey, Google. Hey, Siri. Hey, Alexa. You get it? And I thought, you poor thing. And she just bowed her head and said, yeah. I said, I said they took your name. <laughs> she said, yep. She said, I'll tell you. Sometimes I think about changing it. And I say, but yeah, I think about this guy named Jesus Justice. And Jesus goes and does all these incredible things. Raised from the dead. Savior of the universe. You read Colossians closely and you can see that he's creator of the world. Everything's made for him, by him, and through him. And all of a sudden, you're taking that name? I probably would have changed it to justice, wouldn't you? And that's what we see here. But he's not only a common name, it's an exalted name. Jesus. And here's what I learned in this. And you say... Is that really here? I don't know, but sometimes don't you look at the scripture and something just kind of pops off the page? You know what popped off the page when I saw his name? I thought of something like this, that Jesus exalts the common. Doesn't he do that? The common, ordinary person, he has the potential to exalt. Again, look at the people in scripture that he used. Fishermen, Upper Galilee. When they show up in Jerusalem, they're like, what is this all about? I mean, it's, it's kind of like what I said before. It's like people from Kayser coming here, and we're like, what is that all about? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's my Kayser buddies. Okay, but anyway, it's beautiful country up there. Don't get me wrong. But anyway, but there's this whole thing that's there that's happening, and they look, and they're like, oh, my goodness, and, and, and all these different things. And, and, but he exalts the common. I'm here to tell you my testimony 
And I don't know how to say this, and I'm not bragging when I say it, because your testimony is the same thing. He exalted me. He exalted me in ministry. I never dreamed I would take a stage on a Sunday morning and speak to a bunch of people. I never dreamed it. Never thought it would ever happen. Me and my sisters, we'd play church when we were kids. I was the pastor, of course. I was the oldest. My, second, my first sister, she, was, uh, she didn't want to be on the stage in front of the stuffed animals, so she was a librarian for the church. <laughs> and my second sister, she was the worship leader. Back then, the music director, you know, that did this. You, know, you remember those days? Okay. And that's, we played church all the time. But I never dreamed that I'd stand in front of people and talk, <laughs> much less talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He took something very weak, very insecure, and did something with it. But you know something? That's all our testimonies if we really look close enough. He takes the common, the ordinary, and does extraordinary things. The difference is this. Will you be obedient? Will you follow through? For some of you, you're like some of these other names. You came out of the gate and you're still serving strong. But some of you are John Marks. I was John Mark at one time. You had to be restored. You got to be restored. And some of you have been restored and you're still praising the name of Jesus because you've been restored. You know what it's like to, to serve him faithfully and then come to a point in your life where you destroy your testimony in such a way and then, and then he brings you back. What a beautiful story. We see that. A fourth encourager, Epaphras. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now think about this. This is a person, and he's always, every, Paul says, basically, every time I'm around, I'm around him, he's talking about how he prays for you. Now how do we know that? Because of what he's getting ready to write. And he basically says this. He not only says, I'm praying for you. He says, here's how I'm praying for you. How many, how many, of, you, how many of you had people who, who said this? I said this probably 20 times after the first gathering let out. They were telling me little things that were going on in life. And I said, I'll be praying for you this week. I'll be praying for you. How many of you are grateful that people say, I'm praying for you? But how many of you have ever had people in your life who said, I'm praying for you. And here's how I'm praying for you. That's pretty big. That's pretty specific. This gentleman does that. Epaphras is one of those. He, he's, he's not just laboring fervently, which uh, we, we get the idea of agony when he labors. He's agonizing, agonizing for them there in prayer. But zeal literally means intense desire. He has an intense desire to see something great come of their life. And he's praying in that. But here's what he's praying. Look what he says, the last part of verse 12. That you may stand perfect. That means mature and complete. That means lacking nothing, basically, in your faith. And in the will of God. That you know what he has for you. That you know his plans for you. That you know your purposes that he has for you. That you can live a life of satisfaction and fulfillment by living for him. And that's what we're seeing here. Pretty cool prayer. I don't know about you. But I, I think it's a great thing for us to pray for our children. There's a lot of people that come up to me and they say, you know, I hear ever since I've been in church, I've heard people say, you need to pray, you need to pray. Well, what do I pray about? What do I pray for? Did you know there's clues like what we just uncovered here all through Scripture? Did you know that Paul, in, in the, uh, the first chapter of Philippians, 
goes into this long dissertation about how he's praying for them. Pray the same thing. Can you go wrong with Paul's prayers? No. Can you go wrong with the prayers that Jesus prayed? Pray those over your children. Pray those over the people in your life. Praying the word of God over people has amazing capabilities. It can continue the work of the ordinary into extraordinary. It will continue to exalt the common. This last gathering, Jonathan's already alluded to it. Young man comes up in tears. And uh, he basically says, I- I've come here today. I, I-, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Tears. He said, he basically, when he, walked, when he saw me this morning, I walked in. He said, can we go in that room? The reason he wanted to go in that room because he was emotionally touched by what God did in his life this morning. And we walked in that room and he said, here's what he said. I know it was my mama's prayers. I know it was my mama's prayers because I got a lot of baggage. He literally said, I got a lot of demons in my life. And that lets me know that the enemy's taking a lot of territory in his life. And by the way, the enemy's not just going to give it back. You need to pray for this young man. His name's Jordan. It's going to be tough for him. You know how that works. Some of you are living testimonies of it. And, and the fact is, his mama's prayers. Now, let me ask you this. When's the last time we prayed for our children in a way that we could call it we're agonizing for them or we're having intense desires for them that they follow the heart of God? Would you agree there's a waiting world out there ready to corrupt your children? Would you say there's an enemy out there that that knows how to finagle certain things in such a way to make the world very attractive to them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So how should we pray? I think this is a great place to start. With with agony, with intense desire, that God would do a great work in their life, that they may stand mature before God, that they would be complete, lacking nothing, and that they would literally be in the will of God, seeing the satisfaction and fulfillment of serving Him. What a beautiful story here. So who was Epaphras? He was a fellow companion, and he was a prayer warrior. A prayer warrior. Next, another encourager, Luke. The gospel writer of Luke is here. What do we say? Look at verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician. He's another encourager. And so he's the beloved physician. Now, I want you to think about this. Here's what I look at, at, at Luke with. He's a physician. He's obviously an educated man. And he's someone who basically has laid his career and his whatever it took for him to be a physician, laid it at the feet of Jesus and said, use me in the best way possible. And let me tell you how God used him. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the the book of Acts. And y'all, that is a big undertaking what he took on there. And God used it. And so we see a beloved physician, but secondly, we see this, as I said before, the spirit-filled writer. He, he wrote the gospel of Luke. He wrote Acts. But here's what I know about how God works. Just as Paul is naming these people, how many of you would be cool to be mentioned at, at the end of a letter by Paul? That'd be pretty good. Oh, Brian, he served faithfully. He, he, he's a good one. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? But what we're seeing here is pretty amazing. I want you to think about this. Just as Paul names them by different names, and by the way, with those names, you know what you have? Individual personalities, individual gifts, 
individual talents, individual resources. All those things are in these names. And that's how God uses us. And then yet we see a spirit-filled writer. He's, he had the privilege to write a lot of the New Testament. And what's interesting about how people wrote the, 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 the Bible is that the Bible says that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But what's really interesting, and this blows my mind, even though the Holy Spirit was there inspiring them to write, it wasn't a dictation necessarily. Do you know what you see through these writers? You see their personality. You see their perspective. You see their gifts. You see their talents. And you see it as you read especially comparing the four Gospels. And again, when God moves on our hearts in such a way to use us in the way he desires, it doesn't mean that we completely go away. No, he desires to use you, your personality, your gift, and your talents, who you are. And y'all, the reason I know that's important is because one day I'm going to be standing before Jesus just like you are if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to give an account to what he's built in me. And that tells me that's important to the heart of God. That we be used within who we are. He desires that. And Peter, would, Paul, uh, Luke would have been one of those. Next, we see Demas. This guy named Demas. He's in, uh, mentioned secondly in verse 14. And Demas greets you. Now, best we can tell, he was considered a faithful servant. In Philemon, verse 24, he's called a fellow laborer. So he's mentioned before. But here in verse 14, he's just called Demas. And I don't know if that means the handwriting was on the wall, but here's what you're going to learn about this guy. He went from being a faithful servant to a fallen sinner. So when you see these lists, don't assume all of them are right on target. Here's one that's named and here's the way it's described of it. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, these are some of the last words of Paul that's written. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Thessalonica, if you go back and study first century history, you're going to see that Thessalonica and Corinth are port cities. And you're going to find out there is not a whole lot of good in those cities. It's a big old world waiting on them. And that's what we have here in this story. Demas, the fallen. So then there's lastly the others. Look at verse 15. Greet the brethren who were in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. No names. I mean, think about it. No names are mentioned here. Which really brings it back to me and back to where you are. Would you still serve him if no one ever noticed no one ever knows. Is he still worthy to be served even though there's no accolades that come in the service that you give him? It's all about him. It's all about our worship in him. I was told in the 930 gathering there was a lady and she was talking about her grandchild and she said our three-year-old grandchild we asked her to do the prayer <laughs> The other day, and here's how the little girl prayed. Dear God, how are you doing? It's precious, isn't it? How are you doing? Let me just ask you this. I'm kind of getting off, off the beat of this, but I think there's something to this. I think there's a reason she told me this story, because God really imprinted on my heart the story. Hey, Lord, how are you doing? 
Have you ever thought that God needed encouraging? Some of you are like, he's omniscient God. He's all-powerful. He needs nothing. Does he require worship? Hello? Does he? Yeah, he requires our worship. I, I don't think there's anything lacking in God. But I think the little girl's on to something. When we go before God in our worship, you know what that is? It's not just making him glorified. I believe it's encouraging the heart of God. And I believe we see evidence of that in Scripture. And not only that, just a little girl who's going, God, how are you doing? Have you ever thought that sometimes your prayer life and the reason you were created is not just to be used mightily by God in a way that has specific action, but just merely just encourage the heart of God? That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? And I think it can come from corporate worship, but I also believe it can come grounded and centered in our prayers and in our worship personal worship, the others. So in conclusion, here's what I want to leave with you. With whom do you best identify? Tychicus, excited about telling the good news. I mean, he's a sellout. He'll do whatever it takes. Omnisimus, uh, you have a past, but now you have a passion. You have a past, but now you have a passion. Uh, Aristarchus, faithful in difficult circumstances, God, my life's going through a very difficult time, but when it's all said and done, I'm still there. I'm still there. John Mark started out faithful, then failed, but now you're restored. Epaphras, it's all about Jesus. Demas, about to go the way of the world. And there may be someone in this room, and you know you're teetering on that. You're teetering on that. You're one bad decision away from just going the way of the world. For some of you, just knowing the counseling I do around here, it may be leaving your spouse. It may be walking away from your family. Listen, I don't know of any other way you're going to leave the center of where God wants your heart than walking away from your family. And, and, and that's what we see. How, how about Luke? Started well, and guess what? Paul says at the end of 2 Timothy, here's what he says. All have forsaken me, but Luke's still here. Luke's still here. Don't you want that to be who you identify with? How about the others? Faithful even if it means you're not recognized. Not recognized. So, so here, here's, here's, here's the invitation. Here, here's the thought for the morning. I just want to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Just don't look around. How many of you have a desire... For God to use you in some capacity through your life. You have a desire. With your heads, raise your hand. Yeah, with your heads bowed, raise your hand if that's your desire. I think that's most of the room. Now, let me say this. The difference between those who have a desire and those who are actually living the reality of that desire are those who submit to who he is. Are those who, who basically say, like the song says, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I'm going to follow him. I want to be like Luke. I want to be one that's there, that's still there, that has always been there and will be there to the end. I, I, I want to be the one, the Aristarchus. I want to be the one that's there during the difficulty. When life gets tough, 
I want to be the one to identify what Jesus is doing through the difficulty in my life. Father, I just pray right now for each one in this room that you just put our lives under your microscope right now. Father, I know that all of us, when it comes to who we are, there's those times of introspection. There's those times where we just see, what's this life really all about? Help us to realize there'll be no greater fulfillment and satisfaction than when we serve you with what you've given us, the gifts, the resources. Father, I just pray that our desire as we leave this place this morning is being identified with those that Paul said were faithful companions, beloved, those who followed no matter what and there to the end. For that person that needs to be restored, I just pray for them right now. I thank you for the beautiful pictures in the scriptures of those being restored. Paul himself, John Mark, Peter, really all those in scripture. Help us to identify with that that needs to be restored. And then Father Lashley, I pray for the Demases that may be in this room. Their one decision, one choice, between where they are now and walking away into the world. I pray they'll hang on. I thank you for those that, that, that are prayer warriors. Like this mama that we heard, Jordan's mom, praying many, many years, not seeing anything. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up and touches that young man's life. And we're seeing a new person there. Father, I pray we'll be those prayer warriors that will lift those up around us, especially our children and grandchildren. We thank you for what you've done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Do I have anything I need to do now? Okay, all right. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning.